to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God doesn't change. So you see, this is what I wanted to communicate. We hear these terms sometimes, and you know, some people get the mistaken idea that, oh, theology, man, that's boring, or that's for big brain people or whatever. I'm just a, you know, I'm just an average person. I I don't understand all of that stuff. No, this is the stuff that we need to understand. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, in a message titled, God's Nature. Now, here's Pastor Brian. These theologians will go through the attributes of God, and they will refer to the natural attributes of God. They will refer to the moral attributes of God. Some of them like to speak of the incommunicable attributes of God, which means attributes that God alone possesses, and then communicable attributes are attributes that God possesses, but he shares with his creatures, particularly with men. So we want to look at God's natural attributes. And then next time, we want to zero in specifically on his moral attributes. But what are the natural attributes of God? Well, at the top of the list is eternality. Eternality. God is eternal. I have had, and usually it's little children that ask the question, I've had many calls on the radio program where a child will you know, call in and ask the classic question, where did God come from? And the answer is, God has always been. When we say God has always been, he always will be. There never was a time that God came into existence because he is from everlasting to everlasting. We are expressing there the eternality of God. God is eternal. God alone is eternal. Everything else is a creature. Everything else is made by God. God alone possesses the attribute of eternality. God is without beginning and without ending. He is everlasting. Psalm 90 verse 2 declares, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That great uh, prophecy in Micah chapter 5 concerning the birthplace of of the Messiah. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in Judah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth is from old, even from everlasting. A declaration there of the eternality of the Messiah. And so God is eternal. Secondly, in regard to his natural attributes, God is what we call immutable. And this is a great attribute, believe me. God is immutable. We speak of the immutability of God, and this is what it means. God is absolutely unchangeable. God is absolutely unchangeable. He can never be different in his essence. He is always the same. You know, it really would be frightening if when we understand who God is, 
If he wasn't immutable, it would be a very frightening thing because then he would be capricious. He would be perhaps one day benevolent, and then you never know, maybe the next day he'd be upset. And that would be a horrific kind of a thing if that were the case. But the Bible teaches us that God is immutable. He does not change. In the very essence of who he is, his nature, he cannot change. God is good. He's just. He's righteous. He's holy. And he always has been. And he always will be. And he can never change. That's what immutability means. That's what it means when the Lord says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Now, some people say, oh, well, you know, the Bible's mistaken there because we read in places where it says, and God repented of this. That's, th- those are two different things. God hasn't changed in his essence. God's attitude will change when the situation changes or when the circumstances change. We have an example of that in the, the case of Jonah. You remember God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And Jonah was to go and de- declare to the Ninevites, 40 days and then destruction comes. And that was his message. He went through the city, 40 days and destruction comes. 40 days and destruction comes. The Lord had declared, I'm going to destroy the city. But as Jonah began to preach, what happened? The Ninevites repented. And so the judgment did not come. Why? Because God changed his mind? No, because the Ninevites changed. The judgment was going to come because of their sin, but they turned away from their sin. But when we talk about the immutability of God or the fact that God doesn't change, it doesn't really refer to those kinds of things. Anyway, as I'm saying, it refers really to uh, God in his essence, who he is at the very core of his being. Just like we're told regarding Jesus Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then James tells us concerning the Father of light, speaking, of course, of God the Father, With him, there is no variation or shadow of turning. I am so thankful that God is immutable. And again, this doctrine is particularly comforting for the person who has suffered because of the fickleness, the changing nature of other people. A man says to a woman, I love you. I'll always love you. Will you marry me? Be my wife forever. And she says, oh, yes, I love you. And she believes that he means it. And maybe he does at the time. But as the years go by, suddenly one day he wakes up and he says, you know, I don't love you anymore. And she's heartbroken. She's devastated. She's crushed. That's a sad reality for many people, isn't it? It doesn't have to be a husband and wife situation. It could be any kind of a relationship. But you see, that's the nature of fallen man. We are changing all the time. We are unstable. We are not unchanging. But God is. And you see, this is the beauty of it all. I never have to worry that one day I'm going to get up in the morning and God is going to say, you know, Brian, I have decided that I don't like you anymore. You know, Brian, I used to love you. But the more I get to know you, I I just, you know, I've changed my mind. 
that is not going to happen to me and it's not going to happen to you because God doesn't change. So you see, this is what I wanted to communicate. We hear these terms sometimes and you know, some people get the, the mistaken idea that, oh, theology, man, that's boring or that's for you know, big-brained people or whatever. I'm just, a, you know, I'm just an average person. I, I don't understand all of that stuff. No, this is the stuff that we need to understand. And, and yes, of course, sometimes the theologians will use these fancy words to describe things, but we can take it and break it down and put it into our own language and understanding, and we see the tremendous blessing and benefit that comes to us from an understanding that I get up and I realize that the Lord doesn't change. His mercies are new every morning. His compassions never fail. That is tremendously comforting. Another one of God's natural attributes is that he is omniscient. Perhaps you've heard that before, and some of you, of course, know what that means. Some of you might not. It simply means that God knows all things. His knowledge is absolute, perfect, and complete always. God does not learn anything. God is not in a process of discovering new things. You know, like I was saying a moment ago, God saves you, and he's working in your life, but after a while, he discovers a few things about you that he didn't previously know, and he decides, you know what? This is a hopeless case. Throw you aside. No, that doesn't happen. You see, God can't learn anything. He's not in a process of discovery. God knows everything absolutely, completely, always, always has. God is omniscient. So God knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. He knows all the stuff that you've forgotten. He knows all the stuff that you've worked so hard not to know about yourself. God knows everything. He's omniscient. David described it so beautifully in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. He expressed it like this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know, you ever have a time when you blow it, you do something really stupid, and you go into a state of depression afterwards, and you're in all of this condemnation, and you're just like, oh, Lord, I can't believe I did that. And, oh, and you know, I mean, those, those are normal responses. But what happens is during those times, we're, we're tempted to somehow think that, you know, we've shocked God. And of course, now that he knows the truth, now that he knows what's really going on, he's certainly not going to tolerate that any longer, and we are out. But no, you see, David said, you know, when I go to bed at night, you know, when I wake up in the morning, you understand my thoughts afar off before my thoughts are even formed in my head God knows about them. Before the word ever forms on my tongue, God already knows what I'm going to say. And with all of that 
unbelievable understanding, what does he say? He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You know, isn't it true that sometimes when we go through a process of discovery, what we discover is, I don't really like this person. I don't love this person. I thought that I liked you or I thought that I loved you because this is who I thought you were, but now that I know you better and now that I see you for who you are, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But you see, God already knows. And that's part of what it means when we read in Romans chapter five that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew all of this stuff because he knows everything. We read in Psalm 147, he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. His understanding is infinite. Now, just for one second, let's just think about this. Think about the magnificence of a being who knows everything. You know, there are some people in the world who are smart, smarter than others. They're actually quite intelligent. But you know, the most brilliant mind is nothing. It can't even remotely begin to be compared with God. He knows everything about everything. He knows the smallest detail about everything. He knows how many hairs are on our heads. Jesus said, a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's consent. You want to know how in control God is of this world that we live in? Sometimes we look around and you think, man, is anybody in control? It seems like it's out of control, but it's really not. Because not even a sparrow can drop to the ground without God saying, okay, He knows everything. He knows not just all of my thoughts. He knows all of our thoughts collectively. He knows the thoughts of every person. He knows the actions of every person. He knows the motive of every person. And when we begin to understand the greatness of God, in some ways, it, you know, there's kind of a, a double reaction. There's, there's a reaction of wonder and awe and amazement, but there's also a reaction that kind of shakes you up a little bit. I remember a while back I was watching a couple of DVDs that were produced by the, the guys up at the Discovery Institute up in Seattle. And there's one that deals with the microscopic world and, and showing the cells and, you know, all, all the complexity and the mechanics of the cell and, and all of this. It's totally fascinating stuff. And then there's another one that deals with the, the universe and I think it's called the privileged planet. And they, they've got a shot from, I think, the Hubble telescope, you know, where you can actually see the Earth in the galaxy. And, and anyway, as I'm, as I'm looking at this and I'm, on the one hand, I, I am astounded, I'm amazed, I'm in awe. But on the other hand, I suddenly was a little bit troubled, but in a good way. Oh my, this is the God that I'm dealing with. This is the God that I'm accountable to. 
And, and again, I think that so many of our difficulties and struggles and problems are really due to the fact that we just don't, we don't really know who God is. But if we start to get a glimpse, he's omniscient. He knows everything. But he's also omnipresent. And omnipresent means that God is everywhere. And once again, in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, David expresses God's omnipresence. He says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost depths of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. The omnipresence of God means God is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go to escape God's presence. David says it here. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, some translators translate that. If I could go to the end of the universe... You're right there. You see, this is our God. As Paul said, quoting the Greek poets who had a little bit of insight into some of this, they said, in him we live, we move, we have our being. That is true. That is a declaration of God's omnipresence. But we have to understand God is not everywhere in the same way. Now, when we say God is everywhere, and of course, we gathered here together tonight, and we believe that we are in the presence of the Lord, and we are, but you know, God is here tonight in a different way than he would be, let's say, at the estate of a drug lord who's planning his biggest drug deal of all time. God is there as well, but it's a whole different kind of being there. You see, God is here where his people gather. He's here in a way that he is here to bless. He is here to minister. He is here to meet us. In those other kinds of situations, though, he is there observing. He is there in judgment, in a sense, or or preparing for judgment. But there's nowhere that one could go. We are told in Hebrews, that all things, there's nothing that's hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So, you know, the omnipresence of God, it's a double-edged sword, as well as the omniscience of God. If your thoughts are thoughts of love for God and wanting to do his will, his omniscience is great. If your thoughts are wicked thoughts, then, well, his omniscience is frightening because he knows everything you're thinking. His omnipresence is great if you're seeking him and if you're serving him, you have the guarantee that he's with you. Like Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's a very comforting thing. But if you're not seeking the Lord, following the Lord, if you're rebelling against him, if you're living in sin, if you're thinking that you're getting away with something or you're thinking that you're doing something in secret, guess what? You're not. Because the Lord is everywhere present. He is omnipresent. And then God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent, which means simply God is all-powerful. His might, his power, his strength are infinite. In Psalm 62, verse 11, we read, 
God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to the Lord. I love what is written in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 26. There we read these words, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. He's talking about the heavenly host the stars, the sun, the planets. And then have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. And remember what Jesus said. What a word. He said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That omnipotence, all of the might and the power of God resides in God the Son. And so these are some of the natural attributes of God. And as I hope you're seeing, these are not mere theological terms. These are truths. These are realities to be delved into, to be meditated on, to be understood more thoroughly, to be embraced, and to be benefited and blessed by. Oh, thank God he's not limited. There's nothing that's hard for the Lord. And you know, as we go through life, we face a lot of challenging things. And we have, of course, many times over stood up here and prayed for people who have come and the situation has been hopeless, the diagnosis is dim, the doctors have no answers, or the family is so devastated that it just seems an absolute impossibility that could ever be restored, or the financial situation has just gone beyond anything that we could ever deal with, or you name it, whatever the case. But when we come together and pray, we are praying to the omnipotent God, the God who has all power, the God who spoke the universe into existence. You know, we say that. We refer to that. Do we even have the slightest idea what that actually means? I mean, we can't speak anything into existence. God speaks the universe into existence. He just simply says, let there be a universe, and there was. And all things are held together by the word of his power presently. See, these are the things that we've got to know. These are the things that we've got to grow in. Because as I grow in these things, as I increase in my understanding of these things, then that eternal life that Jesus was talking about, it becomes more and more and more my experience right here on planet Earth.
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. With all the violence, oppression, and bigotry that has been carried out in the name of Jesus throughout church history, many today are questioning if Christianity is actually good. In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon takes a critical look at the history of the Christian church, both the horrific and the honorable. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you will understand Christian history with the help of historian John Dixon through a balanced and honest examination of both the good and evil of church history. If you've ever struggled with the atrocities that have been committed by the Christian church, then you need to get this book because the worst of church history is only half the story. The book Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.